Thank you for listening to the Shanghai Community Fellowship Podcast. To find out more about the SCF community, listen to sermons, and upcoming events, visit us at shanghaifellowship.org. All right, well, welcome, everybody. Uh, and today on the liturgical calendar, this is a celebration of the baptism of Jesus. And, uh, you know, during the year, uh, if you weren't aware of this, if you've been kind of, those of you who are kind of hanging with Sangha Community Fellowship uh, online or at watch parties, um, you know, we, we will kind of connect to the liturgical calendar throughout the year. And one of the reasons we do that is because there are literally millions of Christians who are all focused on and studying and, and meditating on that same part of the Word of God. And, I, and, 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 you know, since I'm doing the preaching, I guess here, you know, I like that. I like the idea of celebrating our unity, the unity of the body of Christ, by at least several times during the year, we all kind of come around to reflect on, meditate on, study, and, and welcome the message of God through a particular part of the Bible. And this is one of those Sundays. Uh, because literally today, this Sunday, January 8th, 2023, millions upon millions of Christians all over the world will be looking at this particular passage, the one that was just read uh, in Matthew chapter 3, on the baptism of Jesus. And so that's what we're going to be doing. We're going we're gonna to look at this uh, together, the baptism of Jesus. I want to begin by re- referencing something that, that uh, all of us, at, at least here in Shanghai, but I'm at different parts of the world. Uh, uh, by now, we've all learned what an antigen test is. <laughs> you know, a few years ago, I've never even heard of an antigen test, and I certainly didn't know what it was testing. Uh, but unfortunately, I can now say I do know what an antigen test is, and I know what it tests. I've taken many of them uh, over the last couple of years, or several years. And, and you know, and I know that, you know, I, my experience is that you I take that antigen test, and then you wait for the results. Now, if you've taken one and you've been getting positive results, you're taking another test, hoping for something different, right? You're looking at the little lines as they're shaping, or lines singular, or lines, at least in the kit that I'm using, uh, lines as in two of them, hoping not to get two lines, right? You're hoping for different results. The baptism of Jesus, and we're gonna take a look at this, is going through another testing for for humanity, really, for all people everywhere, but particularly a unique group of people called the people of Israel, a nation, uh, going through another time of testing, but this time hoping for different results. It's Jesus that's going to be going through a particular time of testing. And I'm gonna go ahead and spoil it for you. Uh, He gets different results. He gets a different result. And that's what's so exciting about the baptism of Jesus, among many, many other things. So Jesus comes into this baptism, and and you're discovering, and we should be reminded, that the baptism of Jesus was not not just an isolated event. It wasn't random. It it wasn't uh, just uh, thrown together at the last minute for Jesus. The baptism uh, that, that Jesus participate in, participates in is a baptism of repentance. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. What, what is a baptism of repentance? But John, uh, literally Jesus' cousin, has been baptizing people in the Jordan River now for 
a while. And literally thousands of people are coming from the southern part of Israel, the southern part of the nation, uh, outside of the city of Jerusalem, in an area called Judea, and they've been coming to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. John is a phenomenon. He's a, he is a national phenomenon. I think about one person uh, that isn't an elected official in your home country. Uh, maybe it's an athlete, it's Pele, uh, maybe it's uh, an entertainer. But this person has captured the imagination of your entire country. This is John. John has captured the attention of his entire nation. And literally thousands of people are coming out to be baptized by him. He's not an entertainer and he's not an athlete. What's he doing? He's baptizing people and it's a baptism of repentance of all things. He's not singing great music, you know. He's not slam dunking a basketball. He's repenting. He's, he's leading people into repentance. Again, a definition of that coming. But uh, he's leading people into repentance and thousands of people are coming. Now, Jesus is also going to participate in this same baptism. And, now, and it's not, again, it's not a coincidental. Jesus actually lives about 70 miles away from where Jesus is baptized. That's a, that's a little over uh, 100 kilometers. And in a day before uh, cars, buses, trains, all that, you know, where people walked to get where they wanted to go, or maybe went by donkey cart, um, 70 miles is very far. It's not just a matter of convenience. Just Jesus didn't just kind of walk out his front door and say, oh, there's a baptism going on right over there. I think I'll just go join it. In other words, it's intentional. Purposefully, he seeks out John and he seeks out this baptism of repentance. Jesus' baptism actually is a part of a much larger storyline that is being told. It's a storyline that includes, of course, uh, uh, what God is wanting to say through that unique people group called Israel and the Jewish people. It's a storyline which has Jesus identifying with this people, the, the people of Israel, that unique, special group of people that God has formed. He started with one individual named Abraham. Uh, through Abraham's family, he shapes a nation so that God can bless and save the world through this unique people group. It's a part of the biblical story, and Jesus is a part of this people group. The storyline that is, Jesus is following is that storyline. I read somewhere just recently, uh, just as a reminder that, that what God did was he, he created a nation. He didn't just did, like jump into a nation, uh, the, the nation of Egypt or the nation of China, which would have been in existence at that time, or the nation of, um, you know, uh, Babylon or, you know, he, he didn't jump into the, the story of another nation. He jumps into the, he actually creates a nation to fulfill his story. And Jesus is participating in that storyline. And by participating in that storyline, Jesus is all, all, also taking on himself the unfinished mission of that people group. It's actually God's unfinished mission. Jesus is going to, as a member of that people group, the Jewish people, is going to pick up, he's going to pick up that storyline, and he's going to pick up that unfinished mission. And when Jesus comes to the waters of baptism, that's what he's doing. He's identifying with his own people. He's identifying with their own story, a story that has them coming up out of Egypt, as Jesus literally came up out of Egypt, a story that has them passing through the waters, as Jesus will pass through the waters of 
baptism. A story that has uh, them facing the wilderness as Jesus would face the wilderness. And a story that has them entering the land as Jesus would enter the land. All of this, Jesus is fulfilling. And his baptism is a key part of this. It's absolutely a key part of this. Jesus is taking all this up for their sake and for our sake. He will do everything that they were meant to do, except this time with different results. This time with different results. The last time, the last time this mission was taken up, the mission of God uh, to restore and save the world, they got two lines on the test and it came out, it came out positive. This time, Jesus would pass the test, different results, just one line, negative, and Jesus would pass the test for himself and for us. And baptism, the baptism of Jesus, that day when he walked into those waters, the waters of the Jordan River, um, everything would change. And all of this is, is really kind of finding focus on that particular day. By the way, I, I've actually been in the Jordan River myself, I've been to Israel, and I have been in the Jordan River. Uh, I was um, participating in a baptism, baptized people in the Jordan River, and uh, kind of a cool experience, I have to say, very cool experience. So today, I want to I want to I want to give three different things about Jesus and us from his baptism. So we're going to look at the baptism of Jesus, take a closer look, and see what we can find there what the Holy Spirit is showing us through it, revealing to us through his word, and then take that and apply it to our own lives. So here's the first thing. The first thing is this, that Jesus is the perfect person. We talked about this last week. We'll talk about it some more right now. Jesus is the perfect person. You know, it's kind of like a, a family when, when a baby is born, there's mom and dad, that new little baby. And of course, for a mother and father, that little baby is absolutely perfect. It doesn't really matter what they actually look like. Plump, skinny, uh, wrinkled, uh, you know, all, everything that new babies are. He or she is perfect. Jesus is perfect. He is the perfect person. Last week we talked about how Jesus is the very perfect image of God because he is God. And because he is a human being and every human being bears the image of God because we've been made in the image of God. Jesus as God now in the flesh uh, incarnated before us and with us perfectly reflects the image of God. He's the one human who actually pulls it off and perfectly bears a reflection of the image of God. So he's not only perfect in that way, but as we're going to see in his baptism, he perfectly repents. Everything that Jesus does is done in perfection. And, and by perfection, I, I, I mean this, that he's, he, he does what every human can do and should do, but he's doing it perfectly. It's what you would do and what I would do if we could. It's the perfect life. It's the sinless life. It's the, it's the perfectly loving, kind life. Perfectly balanced uh passion for justice and holiness without stepping and crushing other people. You know, it's just that perfect expression of what it means to be a human being. Jesus has got it. And that's, that's his life. And like I said, uh, John's baptism, of course, was for repentance. Now, if you know something about what a repentance is, repentance is, 
is, it means simply turning away from our sins. It's a baptism to say, I want to turn away from my sins, a sinful life, and a life without God, a life where I'm on the throne and God is not, and turn toward God and let him have the place of reverence and honor and authority that he should have. That's repentance, turning away and turning toward. People came to John to symbolically walk into those waters, the Jordan River, either pouring water over them by pouring water over them or immersing them down into the water and then up again, uh, symbolically showing that I'm, I, I'm experiencing the washing away of my sin and I'm embracing a new life in Christ. That's what Christian baptism is anyway. And it's, it, it begs the question, if Jesus is perfect, why did he need to go through a baptism of repentance? What, what would he have, what would, what would he have had to repent from? He's perfect. He's sinless. You know, he's just, I get it. I, I know I need a baptism of repentance, and you probably know why you need one, but um, why Jesus? Why, why, does, why did he need that? Repentance is something you experience when you get these four things coming together at the same time. You get a true perception of sin, and the word for that is conviction. I really get it. You know what? I don't need Pastor Dale to tell me I'm a sinner. I don't need somebody else to tell me, uh, my wife, my spouse, you know, wow, you're full of sin. Uh, I don't need my parents to do that. I know. I have my own conviction of my sin. That's perception and conviction. Number two, uh, the telling of the truth uh, about me to God. That's a part. It's called confession. That's a part of, con that's a part of repentance where I'm finally willing to tell the truth about who I am. My thoughts, my innermost thoughts, as, as, to the extent I'm even aware of them, the true nature of my heart, my character, I'm willing to be perfectly and completely honest, as honest as I can be, with God. That's confession. Thirdly, a decision to follow Jesus and to do everything he asks of us is also a part of repentance. And so is the fruitfulness, the fruitful life that comes when we uh, embrace and our conviction that we are sinful, that when we are telling the truth and do tell the truth to God about who we are, and when we decide to follow Jesus and we're going to go ahead and do everything he tells us to do and perfectly obey, there's a fruitfulness of life and a thriving that comes from that. You put all four of these things together at the same time and you've got repentance. But again, uh, uh, why does Jesus need to do this? As, as author Scott McKnight said, repentance involves surrender to God, telling God the truth, and then striking out in a new direction of sacred love. This is why people came to John. This is why people came to the Jordan River, to repent and find forgiveness. Jesus says this perfectly, and he's doing it for us. He's doing it for us. He's not only doing it for himself, but, but then again, he doesn't need to do it for himself. So if he doesn't need to do it for himself, why is he there? He's doing it for us. Does Jesus need to repent? I like something C.S. Lewis says here. Only a bad person needs to repent. Only a good person can repent perfectly. The only person who could do it, that is repent perfectly, would be a perfect person, and that person would not need to do it, okay? So why does Jesus need a baptism of repentance? A couple of reasons. Number one, to identify with John, his cousin, John the Baptist. 
Jesus is there that day in the Jordan River to identify with the message that John is proclaiming. Turn, repent from your sins. God is about ready to change the world and bring his kingdom. So repent. And Jesus is going through that baptism to identify with John. I, I believe John's message. I'm aligned with John's message. Thousands of people are aligning with this message of repentance, turning toward God, anticipating the coming of his kingdom. Jesus is there that day to say, I'm aligning with this message. John is known as a forerunner. He's the person preparing the way. Jesus' participation in the baptism of John is saying, I am aligning not only with the message of John, but I'm aligning with John who is preparing the way, preparing for someone. Who's he preparing for? Me, Jesus would say. I'm the Messiah that John has prepared us for. Number two, Jesus is taking on this baptism of repentance. He's there in the River Jordan that day to, because it's, it's a part of bringing the kingdom of God. Author Tom Wright put it this way, in order for Jesus to bring the kingdom of God to earth, he must humbly identify with the earth by identifying with God's people, taking their place, sharing their repentance, living their life, and ultimately dying our death and being raised in their resurrection. Tom Wright. To be our representative, number three, Jesus is in the waters of baptism because in order to be our representative, in order to, be, uh, to, to identify with us and to represent us, he must perfectly identify with us. In order for Jesus to stand before the judgment seat of God, in order for Jesus to say that he has offered himself as a ransom for many, he must identify, he must be my and your representative. In order to be our representative, he must also identify with us. And so he will do this perfectly when he repents perfectly. The conviction of sin, the godly sorrow, the commitment to do everything that God asks of him and follow completely, obediently, perfectly, with all the great positive and sometimes challenging consequences of following Jesus, with all, following God and obeying him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving him, all of this comes together uh, at the baptism of Jesus. And what he does is he stands in those same waters, the Jordan River. Jesus stands in the water of baptism with, with having perfectly repented on our behalf, everything we just talked about, and looks at you and looks at me and says, come, come and join me. Come get in the water with me. Come, come and get in the water with me. He's there. He's been baptized. He's gone through these waters of baptism. He's gone through this baptism of repentance. Now he looks at you and me and all of us and says, now come and join me. Come, I've done it. I've gone before you. Now you come and join me. I bring my imperfect, my imperfect confession, and I bring my sincere and yet less than perfect obedience to participate with him in his baptism. And he fills it up. He will fill it up with his confession, with his conviction, with his fruitful, perfect life. He fills me up as he fills you up. He can't just be in the waters of baptism by himself. I have to join him there. I have to stand in the water as well. You know, uh, I, I have been baptizing people for 
probably 40 years <laughs> at least, right? And, and I have been doing baptism classes for that long. And, and one of the cool things about being the pastor of Shanghai Community Fellowship uh, is that I've had baptism class with people literally from all over the world. Uh, it's a wide range and a great diversity of people, right? Uh, younger, older, mostly younger. But I have to say that almost every baptism class, at least one person would ask me, um, do you think I'm good enough to be baptized? You know, I'm, you know, they might say, can I talk to you? And then we talk afterward. And sometimes they ask the question in the class. Sometimes they ask to uh, see me after class. Sometimes they send me an email or text message. And that's the, it's always the question. Do you think I'm good enough? Do you think I should maybe, basically, should I work a little harder on getting better? You know, uh, give up some sins that I know, <laughs> the ones that I know of, and not to mention the ones I don't know of, but, you know, and then I'll be ready for baptism. And I always have the same answer. You're never going to be good enough for baptism. Because it's not the kind of thing where you have to work at being good and then you qualify. You don't qualify by being good. You qualify by confession and conviction of sin. And the conviction that the way out of sin is through the waters of baptism and the identity with Jesus. Baptism has been a great experience all these 40 years. It's such a joyful time. I love standing in the water. Uh, it's often cold at Hongshan Church. Uh, because the water is not heated so once we get into the winter it's a very very cold experience and uh but you know we used to say hey you know what, what what's the point of getting baptized if there's not a little sacrifice and that cold water is a part of the sacrifice and um, we stand in those waters of baptism together people walk down into that baptismal pool and uh, they surrender their life to christ we we tell people um you know one time uh, we'd be going through and there was in Hungshan church there were no, um, in the baptismal pool, there were no handrails. So once you got into the water, um, you know, there's nothing to hold on to. And you, we have people lean, because we baptized by immersion, for those of you who can remember this, and which means you go under the water, you lean back into the water, and you come out of the water, right? Come, come back up. But there's nothing to hold on to. So I would hold your back and uh, hold your arm like this, give you a baptism class, Hold your arm like this and hold it your back, my hand behind the back. And I have someone else there with me assisting. And that person would lean back. We had them, right? We had them. But, you know, when you're in water at about waist high like that, uh, the natural tendency is your body is to just start floating. Uh, and the baptismal tank was big enough. You could kind of float around, you know. And so people are kind of coming out of the water and there's nothing to hold on to. And I'm trying to help them up. And my, the other person in the baptismal tank. And so... I remember sharing with the person who was uh, uh, gave the baptism instruction on, on just where to put your towel and you know where your clothes are going to be, we're going to change and, and sharing with this person that you know sometimes when people come up out of the water, we're trying to help them stand back up again, but they're just oh, it's, a, it's like it'd be helpful if they remember that yeah just let Pastor Dale and uh, one of the elders help you and uh, so in the instructions it came out like this and when Pastor Dale or when you've been baptized. Pastor Dale and one of the elders there, they're helping you. So stop flip-flopping around and uh, flip-flopping and stop flip-flopping around. So uh, I guess there's a good, a good, uh, there's good uh, guidance for Christian living. Stop flip-flopping around, all right? And just be baptized in Jesus' name. Second thing, second thing here is that Jesus is the unique son of God. Uh, the unique son of God who will make brothers and sisters for himself. 
Jesus is unique son of God. He is God's son. Uh, it, it, you know, reality is, is what's going on here is that it, God will say out loud for Jesus to hear and others as well, this man that John just baptized, and there have been thousands of people coming, coming through the uh, Jordan River. John's been baptizing a, a lot of people here. You know, this man, this one, this man that John just baptized is my son, is my son. Imagine that. You know, it's been going on for days and days and weeks and weeks and hundreds and thousands of people getting baptized in the River Jordan. It's a, it's a mass event of humanity coming out to be baptized. And on this particular day, there's a voice that declares, see all these people standing here today, all the people walking through the day, this man is my son. From the time he was a child, Jesus had an awareness in the temple, Luke 2, verse 49. Jesus had an awareness that he was uniquely God's son. Uniquely aware that he was God's unique son. Imagine what this experience at this baptism is doing for Jesus' self-awareness. We don't think about this so much. You know, he's, always, he's, always, he's perfect, he's Jesus, he can do miracles, he's strong, he's you know, what all you know? Just he has no knees. He has no he has no uh, uh, vulnerability. He's just you know, nothing bad ever happens to him. He overcomes everything, and you know. But in the flesh, Jesus is a man. He wept. He he was angry. He was disturbed at times. Uh, he knew the full range of our emotions. Right? Imagine the self-aware, what this was doing for Jesus' self-awareness, when he hears God say, this is my son, I approve of him, I love him, I delight in him. The Father God is affirming uh, uh, what is being said about Jesus uh, in an earlier time in a prophetic word given by Isaiah, chapter 42, uh, verses, or, uh, yeah, chapter 42. Uh, begin with verse number 18. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. When God speaks at the baptism of Jesus, this is my son in whom I delight, God is actually quoting himself from Isaiah 42. But there's more than he says. I will put my spirit on him. And he, that is Jesus, as we now know, will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out, till he has brought justice through to victory in the name of the nations, and in his name the nations will put their hope. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. He says something about the character of Jesus. Now, now and let me just unpack that for a minute, because what I think, I think the prophet is saying here. Now, if you live in, in uh, Israel, at the time, there are many, many, there's the Jordan River, there's the Sea of Galilee, um, you know, and there are other, and primarily, really the whole nation is kind of formed around these two large bodies of water. Um, and where you have bodies of water like this, you're always going to have reeds, you know, reeds that go in marshy areas, right, around, around the edges of the lake and around the edges of the Jordan River. And, you know, people would, uh, children in Jesus' day, they still do this today, with reeds from watery area, if you hollow out the reed, poke some holes in it, and blow into it, you have a flute, you have an instrument, all right? You have, you have a way to make noise, basically, as parents would probably say. Would you take that thing and get that out of here? You know, you're, you're driving me crazy. 
know, and children would do that. It was, a, it was a children's thing to do. Hollow out a reed, turn it into an instrument. But in the process of changing and transforming that, that reed, and there are thousands and thousands of reeds into a, a, an instrument, something to have fun with, uh, if, you, if you bruise the reed, it, it wouldn't work. And what do you do with a bruised reed? Well, you just throw it away because there are thousands of reeds. It doesn't matter. Who cares? There are thousands. You don't save a bruised reed. Same thing with a smoldering wick. Imagine a piece of clay pottery. There's oil in that pottery. And there is a floating wick on top of that oil. And it's burning and, and burning down and giving light. But when that wick burns down, it, it smolders. And you'll, you'll, you'll see this today. When a wick burns down in your candle, uh, it smolders. It gives off a little bit of smoke. Now, if it's a really good candle and been well made, you might not see any of the smoldering smoke. But uh, uh, in, a, in a pottery dish in this day, uh, that wick will burn down and it will smolder. It'll give off that bit of smoke as the wick dies out. Now, once a wick has been has uh, died out, it, it's, it's been smoldering and the little puff of smoke is coming up, you just throw it away. You, you don't, nobody keeps a smoldering wick. There's no saving it. And what I love about this prophetic word is it describes the one in whom the Father delights, is that this is one of the things the Messiah will do. This is one of the things that Jesus does. He takes bruised reeds that no one wants, and he takes smoldering wicks that are only fit for the garbage, and he saves them. And those smoldering wicks and those bruised reeds are lives. They're people. People that are bruised and people that have been tossed aside, you are no good. Nothing ever is going to good, nothing ever good is going to come out of you. And he takes them, he takes us, and he saves us. This is what Messiah is like. This is what Jesus is like. This is what the one who came out of the baptism, waters of baptism, is like, in whom the Father takes his delight. Jesus humbles himself. Uh, he, he experiences our shame, uh, and that's a shame thing. He's humbled by allowing John, who is lesser than him, Jesus is allowing the lesser man to baptize him. And then God exalts him and honors him and calls him his son, my own son. Jesus identifies with all of us and the transition that we can go through from shame to son or daughter. It's for those of us who will believe and walk through the waters of baptism and answer the invitation of Jesus, come and follow me, come and join me, come and join me and follow me and take that, take that transition from shame to becoming a son or a daughter of God expresses a heart, and it should anyway, express a heart of gratitude for us and through us. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did for me at your baptism. Number three, the third thing about Jesus I wanted to point out today was that Jesus is the one who baptizes us in the Spirit. John had said about Jesus, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He and now we know is Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. When Jesus came up out of the water of his own baptism, the, the, the heavens opened, there was an open heaven, the Father, the Father spoke and proclaimed um, and declared, and the Spirit descended. 
the descent of the Spirit was a well-known expectation concerning the Messiah. The one who is going to baptize in the Spirit will also receive the Spirit as he would do on that day. The coming of the Spirit was visible as a dove coming upon Jesus. It was visible because the coming of the Holy Spirit, as Jesus promised, the baptism of the Holy Spirit would also be visible. The Spirit is coming down on Jesus as the Spirit comes down upon those and fills up those of us who are following Jesus. Jesus is baptized to repent perfectly so that he can baptize others in the Holy Spirit and the Spirit will come to empower us for our vocation, which is to follow Jesus. A true confession ignites the dove. A true confession ignites the dove. As the Spirit uh, descends on Jesus, it's for a renovation. We too are going to be flooded by the Spirit. We also will have the Spirit that will empower us to forgive others and to forgive our, our enemies. It doesn't come naturally as, uh, for us to forgive others, especially our enemies, but the Spirit will empower us to do that. It's the Spirit who will, that will be bestowed on us to give us power to live and follow Jesus and keep his commandments. It is the Spirit that is going to, that comes from the G Jesus who is the baptizer that will empower us to witness. All of the book of Acts is about the power of the Spirit of God. Those who've been baptized and experienced the baptism of Jesus, experienced the power of the Spirit in them and on them so that they can witness to Jesus and his true salvation story. It's him. It's him. As author Craig Keener said, Jesus is the son. He's the mightier one because he is the one who gives the spirit. It's Jesus. Jesus has come to give the spirit in greater measure, even greater measure than John had. That's why we're just, we're just taking it up to another level as Jesus has come to bring his kingdom. Do we really fully realize what Jesus has done for us in his baptism. We often think, and rightly so, about what Jesus did for us on the cross. I'm not taking away from that at all. Don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Or what Jesus did for us in his resurrection. Or what Jesus did for us in his ascension. We're, we're, we, we are often more keenly aware of what he did for us uh, on the cross and in his resurrection and his ascension. But let's today remember what Jesus did for us in his baptism, in his baptism, especially to help us with our own conviction and our own confession. And the result is going to be uh, the Spirit's presence and power. Thank you, Jesus, for sending the dove, for sending the dove. Now today, uh, I've given you a bit of an outline, three things about Jesus, right? But this is, how, this, is, this is not how it went down in real time. I mean, John and Jesus didn't, didn't come up on, you know, stand on the shore of the Jordan and say, hey, everybody, let's just, uh, uh, we're going to give you a little teaching here on what's about ready to happen. I've got an outline we'd like you to follow. No, it, it happened. In real time, Jesus of Nazareth traveled 70 miles, 100 kilometers, uh, to a place on the Jordan River in Judea, where John, who was his cousin, was baptizing, baptizing people. And it was a baptism of repentance. Thousands of people had been coming out 
out of the city of Jerusalem and from the surrounding area, Jesus has traveled intentionally and purposefully to be baptized. And when he goes into the waters of baptism, when he goes in and fully enters into a repentance, he does so on our behalf. He doesn't need to be there. He's the perfect human being and he is sinless. But on our behalf, he repents so that he can present a perfect repentance so that I can join him by aligning myself and participating in the baptism of Jesus. I participate in my own baptism and take for myself the conviction and confession and new life in Jesus Christ. From this point forward, there's no other way. There's no excuse not to see Jesus in any other way than except for the person he truly is. His true identity is being revealed. And he's showing us who he really is. You have seen a true picture of Jesus. His identity has been revealed to you and to me. In the next story, we won't talk about that one today. We're going to learn about the temptation and the testing of Jesus. That true identity of Jesus would be challenged just as your identity in Christ will be challenged and tested. Same for me. Our identity as we participate in the baptism of Jesus, as we repent and turn from our sins, and we enter into following him, doing whatever he tells us as best we can, and growing in that, that this new identity that we have in Christ, that you have in Christ, is going to be tested if it hasn't already. You, many of you know, listening right now, what it's like to have your identity in Christ be tested. But Jesus overcome that testing, and so can you. So can you. So can I. We can, we can get through that testing. There, 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 in the story of the baptism of Jesus, we get the vision. We get an open heaven. We get the Holy Spirit descending. We get the witness of the voice of God coming from heaven. In the temptation of Jesus, the story of temptation, we get, we get the testing of that identity in Christ. Um, the temptation and the testing and the identity are meaning. And that's how it becomes real. Don't be discouraged by the testing that you're going through. For this testing will prove the true identity of your new nature in Jesus. You are who you say you are. Because you are who you say you are. Jesus, Jesus has claimed you and me as a son or a daughter. We're being tested. You're being tested right now. But don't lose your identity in Christ. Let it, let it be made more firm and more, more sure going through this time of testing. You are who you say you are. You are who he says you are, a son or a daughter of God. Father, I thank you today. I bless you. And as, Lord, we move into this time of communion, we, we reorient ourselves, we recenter ourselves on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. In his name we pray. Amen.